Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Mary McDougall and Dave Baxter from The Home Team, and James Norton, Senior Investment Planner at Vanguard UK. A lot of information for investors focuses on what are good investments and strategies, but it's also important to consider what are bad strategies and habits and how to avoid following them. James, what are some of the most common bad habits among investors? Leonora, thank you. I'd like to focus on three. Most investors don't have a plan. They tend to make things too complicated and they also tend to pay too much in costs. So let me go through those in turn. Vanguard believes very strongly in four investment principles of goals, balance, cost and discipline. And it really all starts with the goals part. Unless investors know why they're investing, what their long-term goal is, then it's really hard to have a strategy. And without a strategy, you're not really setting yourself up for success when it comes to investing. So by not having a strategy, by not knowing how long you're investing for, for example, how much you can afford to invest, and what your um, trading strategy is, then you're making life hard for yourself. What it also tends to mean is rather than building your portfolio from the top, looking down, creating a globally balanced portfolio, what investors often tend to do is at this time of the year, they look at best buy tables and buy the hot fund. Um, we've done lots of research on this over the years, and there is very, very little evidence that buying the last year's best performing funds, which may be at the best of the performance tables or the best buy tables, um, very little evidence that those continue to perform well in the following 12 months. So actually having a, a clear um, plan at the beginning is the best starting point for investors. The second point comes um, to comes back to making it too complicated. And, you know, you often hear people talk about where the smart money's going. We find that a really unhelpful comment. It it makes it sound like um, to have a good portfolio, it needs to be really sophisticated. It needs to hold all these clever things that normal investors may not have. But actually, our, our firm belief at Vanguard is if you have a low-cost portfolio, it's globally diversified, made up of equities and bonds in the right proportion for you, then you're in a pretty good place. Now, there's an organization in the US that um, does research into the performance of endowment um, funds. And if you look at their performance, um, the, the largest endowment, so organizations like Yale and Harvard, um, organizations with a, with a billion plus of AUM, so they've got huge resources, and they've you know, pioneered some of these more varied styles of asset class investing, such as commodity funds, um, hedge funds, infrastructure funds. Actually, if you look at their performance over a 10-year period, those largest endowment funds have struggled to beat a simple 60-40 portfolio. So we think simplicity is, is a really good recipe for success. The last point I'd like to come back to is cost. Um, Anyone who knows Vanguard will know we um, passionately believe in cost. To many investors and to many people, it's slightly counterintuitive. In many walks of life, if you pay more for something, you get more. So if you buy a second-hand car for a couple of thousand quid, you hope it'll get you from A to B. If you spend 15, 20, 50,000 on a car, you know it'll get you there and it'll get you in style and comfort with lots of bells and whistles added to it. Investing is the opposite. 
If you're paying higher costs, that is a barrier to you achieving investment success. It is a hurdle um, that the investment manager has to overcome just to break even. Jack Bogle, our founder, gave a a really good example of this uh, many years ago. And he gave an example of of an investor with $10,000. I'll use pounds because we're in the UK. So assume you've got £10,000 and you're investing it for 50 years with a 7% return. At the end of that period, you'll end up with £300,000. That's amazing. And that is the benefits of compounding. However, you take off 2% in fees. Now, 2% may sound like a lot, and it is a lot. However, there are a huge number of investors in the UK who are paying 2% or more. You go to a high-cost platform with an expensive multi-asset fund, you'll be paying close to 2%. Go to many discretionary investment managers, you could easily be be paying 2% or 2.5%. So 2% isn't unreasonable. But you take that 2% fee off the 7% return to get a net return um, of 5%. The investor won't end up with 300,000. They won't end up with 200,000 pounds. They'll end up with 100,000 pounds. So in that example, the investor who's taken 100% of the um, investment risk has only ended up with one third of the investment return. The asset manager, the investment manager, has taken none of the investment risk, but through fees, has taken two-thirds of the return. So costs are critical, and it's one of the things that all investors can control. Okay, thank you, James. Now, these things maybe sound like, you know, obvious things you don't want to do, but like you said, loads of investors are doing them. So what steps can you take to ensure that you don't make each of these mistakes that you outlined? So the, the first is easy, is make a plan. And as well as make a plan, make sure you write that plan down. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be complicated. But essentially, it's a set of rules that you should be sticking to. Um, if we go back to what I mentioned before about having goals, the beginning of your plan should be what your goal is. Now, it could be someone younger who's saving for, say, seven to ten years for a house deposit. It could be someone older looking um, to fund their retirement. But make sure you know what your time horizon is. Because that time horizon and your risk will be the driving forces between behind the asset allocation of your portfolio. Make sure that your plan is relevant to you. So that's the goal, but make sure it's realistic. So if you are starting off saving for a house deposit, make sure that the number that you've set yourself is something that's achievable within the time frame that you um, that you set yourself. If it's not achievable, you're not going to stick to it. If you're not going to stick to it, your chance of success is you, you're, you're kind of losing before you've, you've even started. And then I just say, with that plan, go back to it. Go back to it on a regular basis. So whenever you want to do something with your portfolio, check back to the plan and see, is this going to help me? Is it going to make a difference? And is it going to, get, is it going to help me get to my goal quicker? It may do, but the chances are just as strong that it may not. The second thing I'd say is, it comes back to the complexity point, keep, keep it simple. Some of the things that many investors get tempted to buy, and I have over the years, you know, I've made a lot, plenty of mistakes. They sound great. If they're too good, if they sound too good to be true, they are. They often are too good to be true. A simple rule is: if it's too complicated to understand, then don't put it in your portfolio. I think you know, absolute return funds are a really good example of that. They sound great. They sound like a panacea. But do you really understand what the fund manager is doing underneath the bonnet? 
If not, don't include it. Commodity funds as well. They sound great and they may be appropriate for certain investors, but do you actually understand how the pricing of those commodities are working and whether you actually own those commodities or whether they're derivative based? So keep it simple. You know, our, our research and evidence shows again and again is that a simple portfolio of equities and bonds globally diversified will work for you. The last thing is review your costs. Everyone can do it and it's simple to do. If you're paying around 2%, um, the chances are you're paying too much. So if you're in a lot of active funds that are um, high, high fee paying, consider passive. Vanguard is not against active management at all. We have active funds. Just make sure they're low-cost active funds. Um, review your investment platform. If the fees are very high, um, consider moving to a, to a lower-cost platform. And don't think that costs um, don't add up over time because they really do. If you take a £100,000 portfolio with a 5% return over 30 years, which is reasonable, if you use a, um, an all-in expense of half a percent to give a net return of 4.5%, then after 30 years, you'll end up with around £375,000. If you have a 2% fee, which we discussed earlier, a lot of people are paying that, you won't have £375,000. You'll end up with about two hundred and forty-three. The difference is huge. It's about 50%. Um, costs are hard to understand. They're not very tangible. You're not handing cash over. Um, when it's coming out of, a, out of a fund, you don't even see the money going. Percentages sound small. 1% sounds small. 2% small. And in many respects, it is. But when it's repeated month after month after month for a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50-year period, the numbers really add up. I suppose what occurred to me was they seem like obvious mistakes so i mean why do investors succumb to bad habits and mistakes so easily i think it's essentially because we're humans and we're driven by our emotions and two of those biggest ones when it comes to investing is fear and greed when something goes wrong in life we get scared a bit of fear sets in and we want to put it right it's natural it's sensible it's part of our survival instincts a really basic example is your boiler bursts or breaks or a pipe goes at, at, at home, you get a plumber in and you fix it. And that's the right thing to do. However, it's different when it comes to money and, and investments. I, I like to think of it as every time you touch money, every time you do something with your investments, a little bit rubs off. Someone's taking something somewhere, but it is natural to feel better when we do something. So we look at the global financial crisis, for example, Stocks fell very sharply. A 60% equity, 40% bond portfolio would have fallen about 18% roughly from the, the peak to trough loss. I remember then a lot of investors were getting very scared and some sold out. It wasn't the right thing to do. They sell out and immediately feel better about it because, oh, I've done something. I've realized a loss and I don't like that, but the market's going to carry on falling and you, you can feel good and maybe even a bit smug about yourself. However, the trouble with that is, is that you're not going to buy into the market again until you feel better about things. And you're not going to feel better about things until the economy's improved, until the um, political situation's improved. 
and by then you can bet that the market is going to be materially higher than it was when you sold out. I was going to say this is um, not unlike the situation this week. Would this be a good principle to apply in current circumstances? It, 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 it is a really, really good principle. Um, in many respects, what we're seeing now is very similar to the global financial crisis. Um, what, what we've seen this week has been pretty severe in terms of sell-off. But actually, these types of um, this type of market volatility is perfectly normal. Now, what, what I would say to investors is, if you are in the right portfolio for you, and by the right portfolio, I mean the right mix of equities and bonds, um, you should be able to ride out this volatility. I, I actually looked at the performance of some of our funds um, this morning um, just to see how, how they had performed. Um, the life strategy f- um, fund fund range is one that many um, investors are familiar with. You've got the, the life strategy 100% equity range. Now, from the 21st of February to this morning, that that fund had fallen 8.2%. So it's quite a big fall, um, and it's going to continue falling as the, as the market moves down. But then you compare that to the life strategy 60% fund, that's only fallen 6.5%. So suddenly 6.5% is not nearly as scary or as intimidating as the headlines this morning in the papers of, of 12% off markets. Then a more cautious investor in, say, the life strategy 40% fund, it's only a 3% fall. So as long as you've made the right decisions at the outcome when you're setting up your portfolio, you really should be able to ride out this volatility. However, if your personal circumstances have changed in any way, then you should consider taking action. One last thing I would say mm. is that it comes back to this point about wanting to do things and, make, and making us feel better. It's often really, really hard. Often the hardest thing to do is to sit there and do nothing. But most of the time when it comes to investing, sitting there, doing nothing, when all about you, are pa- everyone's panicking and taking action, it's usually the right thing to do. Okay, thank you, James. Um, some useful uh, points there. Um, now, investors are looking to, uh, let's say, change their habits for better. You know, where else can they get good information on, you know, what might be good habits or, you know, right strategies and, and things to avoid doing? I think a really great place to look is the Vanguard website because we do not talk about funds. Uh, we don't try and sell funds. What we try and do is talk to investors about investing behavior. We want them to buy a fund because they understand a fund. But what we're doing is talking to them about their goals, having a balanced portfolio, um, being well diversified, being low cost and discipline so that when it's times like this, you have the confidence to stick with the plan. Okay, thank you, James. Also, make sure to have a look at next week's issue, the 6th of March, because Dave is in the process of writing an article on how to manage your portfolio through volatility. When thinking about what problems might come up when saving and investing, perhaps the most obvious ones are investments or products that don't make good returns. But an arguably even more serious threat has become more prevalent in recent years investment scams. Mary, you've been looking at this. Just how widespread are investment scams? Hi, Leonora. Um, Yes, I have. So scams are a really, really big problem in the UK at the moment. Um, And they're targeted at all types of investment products. So from bonds, shares, pensions, the introduction of pensions freedoms in 
2015 made pension scams much worse, cryptocurrencies and all types of wacky investment products. So to give you an example of how much scams have increased, um, nearly 15,000 people reported um, being a victim to an investment scam last year uh, to Action Fraud, which is a national reporting agency. And that was up from only 5,000 in 2017. It's a huge increase. Um, And the FCA published a warning list of unauthorised and potentially fraudulent investment firms. And they're reporting up to 25 every week at the moment. Um, So some are clones of authorised firms and some are just potentially outright scams. Sounds like a bad situation. I mean, why why are scams becoming more prevalent? Um, I think the internet's a really big problem. More and more people are searching through Google for investment products um, and more and more scammers are advertising on them. And part of the problem is that Google and search engines, not they don't fall under the same rules as publishers. So it's easier for scammers to target people through them. Typically, the adverts will send you to a landing page um, which will promote the investment and then capture your details for more information. And then they might pass on your phone number to boiler rooms, which is a more traditional way that scams are carried out. Um, And so people call you and just try and sell you these fraudulent investment products that promise you much higher returns than you'll get anywhere else. And the scammers might pass your details on to other boiler rooms um, and you you can become part of a network of fraudsters trying to catch people out. Okay, I mean, uh, nasty situation. Um, So what would be an example of what is a common investment scam at the moment? I think people trying to sell you fixed rates via via Google um, is a common scam at the moment. In acknowledgement of this, the FCA banned the promotion of mini mini bonds, partly because people don't understand how high risk they are. London Capital and Finance is an example of what I think can be now be called a scam. It's under investigation by the Serious Fraud Office. Um, and they took $237 million from investors and were shut down last year with over 11,000 people without... leaving over 11,000 people without access to their money. They promoted the bonds extensively on Google. Um, they paid a market, marketing agency $60 million to promote them. Google alone, they spent $20 million advertising. Um, and the administrators have, have shown that a very small proportion went into sensible interest-bearing investors when investors had been promised returns of 8%. Okay, nasty business. Um, I mean, what other types of scams that investors should uh, watch out for? There are share scams um, where people might call you and try and sell you shares in a company that doesn't exist. Or there's scams for investment trusts. Um, the Personal Assets Trust has a note on its website at the moment saying that some investors have been called because they're on old shareholder lists, which can be accessed through Companies House. And these fraudsters are offering to buy the shares off investors at an inflated price. So you send them your share certificate and they'll pay you the money, but you send the share certificate and then they never, they never send you the money. Um, also, there are just fraudulent platforms for trading binary options or cryptocurrencies and they'll typically tempt you into investing you might invest a little bit they'll show you how well your investment's doing you can take some money out um, and then as you then put more money in they you never see your money again and when I spoke to lawyers whilst I was researching the article they said that that was one of the most common things they were getting contacted about and that it's pretty much impossible to access your money once you've handed it over and if you want to 
if you want to chase it up and take action against them, you need to have a huge amount of capital in order to have any success. Yeah, these are dreadful situations to fall into. So what can you do to avoid being scammed? Don't look for investment options via Google or a search engine. It's it's high risk and there, there are other ways to find out what you can invest in. Buy your investments from regulated companies. Check the FCA register, make sure that the product is registered and they are who they say they are and make sure the products are regulated too so you don't get caught out by what happened with London Capital and Finance where the company was regulated but the products they were issuing weren't, which meant investors weren't covered by the FSCS. Um, And be very careful with social media and advertising because there are lots of cases of um, scammers promoting via social media platforms. And, and sorry, one last point. If you're unsure about the credibility of a firm, um, check with the financial advisor because if it turns out to be a scam, if you've received advice from a regulated entity, then you may be, may be able to claim compensation. Okay, thank you, Mary. Some great tips on how to try to stay safe and uh, see her full report in this week's Investors Chronicle for more potential investment scams to watch out for and more tips on how to avoid being scammed. A lot of attention is given to new funds and company initial public offerings, but the wrappers in which you hold them are also very important as tax efficiency and costs can have a major effect on your returns. So while they might not seem as exciting to follow, new pension and ISA options should also be in your radar. Dave, you've been looking at a new pension. What is this? Hi, Leonora. So um, it's the long-anticipated launch of the Vanguard Personal Pension. With this launch, Vanguard notes that it's trying to essentially make pension saving uh, simpler, more effective. Comes with an account fee of 0.15%. Okay, I mean, that uh, sounds quite attractive. Uh, How how does it compare in in that respect and other respects as well to other platform self-invested personal pensions or SIPs? It is very competitive. Um, In lots of situations, it will essentially be the cheapest in the market. To compare it with, you know, the the most um, widely used platform, Hargreaves Lansdowne, Hargreaves Lansdowne offers a SIP and their account charge is 0.45%. There are cheaper options than that, apart from Vanguard. But um, yeah, it does stand out on the um, cost basis. Um, and as James noted, um, Vanguard focuses on um, kind of passives and low cost funds. So via the SIP, you can access those and you are getting that cost advantage. Right. I mean, are there any drawbacks in uh, your view to Vanguard's new SIP? The most obvious one, particularly given why people might use a SIP, comes down to choice. So with the Vanguard SIP, you have access to um, their funds in the UK. That's 77 funds. It's mainly passive funds of different stripes um, and a small number of active funds. But as I mentioned, with SIPs, um, there are definitely plenty of users who will look to a SIP for a more flexible approach. They want to take control of their pension saving. And if you look wider in the market, um, there are SIPs that offer literally thousands of investments, um, offer many asset classes beyond um, equities and bonds. So you can look at, for example, commodities or property. Um, so I think really, as with any investment, it comes down to to what you want. If you want something simple and cheap, this might be the one for you. But if you want something that does a bit more, has a bit more flexibility, then you might be better served elsewhere. Okay. Now, James, as Dave said, your new SIP, 
the moment certainly only offers access to Vanguard funds. Why did you decide to limit it just to your own? Thanks, Leonora. Our aim in setting up the um, direct-to-consumer platform in 2017 was twofold. Um, It was to reduce the cost of investing for retail investors and also to reduce the complexity of investing. And both of those are equally as important as each other. Um, How we've set the SIP up is really mirroring um, those principles that we've had for our ISA, JISA and general account for the last couple of years. Importantly, we we don't really think that um, clients are better served by having access to a couple of thousand or two and a half thousand funds. As as I said in the in the earlier piece, having a, a straightforward, globally diversified port, portfolio of equities and bonds serves most investors incredibly well. And you know the evidence I gave of the of the U.S. endowments suggests that although complexity can help adding a lot of esoteric asset classes is not necessarily going to in- increase your return what it will almost certainly do though is increase your cost and that is a drag on performance over the long term Dave also mentioned that most of the funds uh, you are offering are passive i mean does does this not limit the potential returns investors could make with this pension no ca- categorically not just because a fund is passive it doesn't mean it is either high risk or low risk. Some of our passive funds, by their nature, you know, 100% equities are are higher risk. You know, for example, our global all-cap fund, I wouldn't describe it as a high-risk fund, but it had a return of over 20% last year. I think that's pretty good going. It's also important to mention, um, as, as you did mention, that we do have um, active funds. We don't have as many active funds, but they're low cost and they're they're performing well. Roughly how many active funds do you offer? Um, so, so we've mentioned. got um, of, of traditional mm. active um, funds, we've got four or five equity funds, mm. we've got a couple of fixed income funds, and then on the ETF side, um, we've, got, we've got a number of factor ETFs as well, which are actively managed. What, what I would also like to say, though, is that, and it's a really important point, good investing is not just about getting the maximum return. It's actually about achieving your le- your goal with the right level of risk for that goal. And if you're always seeking out that little bit extra here or there, then the chances are you may start drifting into some of those bad habits. You may start um, looking at the adverts and thinking, oh, I fancy a little bit of that mm. one in my portfolio. It's performing really well at the moment. The chances are if you're buying a fund at that moment, you probably miss the best of the performance. I mean, those are fair points, but might the fact that, you know, you're only offering your own funds and, you know, largely offering passive funds, might it not deter investors from transferring SIPs on other platforms to Vanguard? You know, especially, you know, I'm thinking people with existing SIPs wouldn't be able to bring over their existing funds, which is what you might be able to do if, say, for example, you transferred, I don't know, from Harvey's Lansdowne to Interactive Investor or something yeah. like that. I think it's a fair point. Mm. And yes, it will certainly be a barrier for some investors. We're only just over a week into the Vanguard mm. SIP, so very, very early days. However, you know, what we can say is that the um, response from our existing clients, you know, roughly 80,000 has been extremely positive. What we can also say is that we are opening the doors to new investors. So we've, we've got lots and lots of 
new accounts being opened just in a week from people who've never never held Vanguard funds before. So it may be a barrier to some people, but so so far it's proving pretty popular. Okay. I mean, on that note, um, you know, if like perhaps you're not catering to, you know, people in the situation just outlined, what kind of investors are you targeting? Um, we are, we're, we're really targeting accumulators at the moment who want to do it themselves or have a little bit of help from Vanguard. And when I talk about a little bit of help, I mean our, our life strategy fund range, but actually more importantly, the target t- target retirement fund range, because those are investments they're they're really close cousins or relatives of the life strategy range they work on very similar principles but they de-risk over time life strategies proved incredibly popular over the last seven years and just you know the very early take up in the pension is showing that the target retirement funds are proving even more popular in the pensions with regards to the kind of the types of individuals this we really think will appeal to the self-employed and contractors who aren't catered for with auto-enrolment. We really hope that low cost and a simple offer will be attractive to those individuals and also um, people who want to consolidate their pensions in a, in a low-cost platform. Because although we talked about the fee being um, 0.15%, it's also really unusual in that we've kept it on quarter of a million of assets and that's aggregated with your ISA as well. So for an investor who has a large ISA portfolio and a large pension, um, we cap the fee at £375 a year for the platform. Okay. I mean, just finally, um, do you think at some point you will start offering access to other providers' funds? It's it's not a plan we have at the moment. Um, it's not really in line with our thinking of reducing the cost and complexity um, for investors. So if we thought it would um, increase their chance of investment success, we'd consider it. At the moment, we don't think so. So not something we're planning. OK, thank you, James. A really interesting insight into your new SIP. Thank you. That brings us to the end of today's show. But see Investors Chronicle or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for more investment platform SIPs, scams and how to avoid them, and good and bad investment strategies. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.